Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is 12.07. Happy holidays, everyone. I hope your holiday season has been merry and that you are making resolutions that are going to be really awesome for 2024. It is 12.08. It's the Shaletta Show. I'm Shaletta Brundage. I'm the host of the show. Josh Wheeler is in the newsroom making sure that all the buttons are pressed and the guests get on. The Josh used to call Well Banker Hotline and Al Shock is in the newsroom bringing us the latest on news and information in our city and I am not in our city I'm down in Houston visiting friends and family but wanted to be here today with you because we just have so much in our community going on and I need to make sure that I stay on top of it and ask questions and talk to people who um, are making decisions that are going to impact so many of us And, and right now guys I'm hearing a lot of conversations and commotion in the community about what's going on uh, with the Metro Blue Line extension that's coming up. Now the recommended route will add 13 miles of new light rail services to our transit system. And the Blue Line extension will run from the uh, Target Field Station downtown through North Minneapolis, then on to Robbinsdale and Crystal and End in Brooklyn Park. Now, we won't be boarding the train until 2030. And I know it seems like a long way off, but there are some decisions that are being made right now. And I wanted to get to the bottom of some of the concerns that I am hearing, that folks are texting me about, that folks are calling me about, enough to the point where I say, you know what, to hell with this vacation. I need to jump on my own show and talk about this and ask some hard questions and get right to the top for some answers because I'm hearing from the community but I want to hear from the people involved some of the planners some of the decision makers so joining me right now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker hotline is Kyle Mianuli he is the communications administrator for the Blue Line Extension Project hello Kyle and happy holidays to you Hi, Shaletta. Happy holidays to you, and thanks for having me on and working on vacation. Well, I I just thank you for being on this show because I'm about to put you on the hot seat and ask you some tough questions. (laughs) My community depends on me to get answers, and, and, and I have to just go right to the top and get you on and get off vacation and jump on this topic because we know that the Blue Line Extension is going to bring us some new transit options, but, but I need to know 
at what cost? We know some businesses will be lost when the blue line is built, but we also know there has been this anti-displacement group from the community that's been working to lessen the impact on the local businesses. Talk to me specifically, Kyle, about what's being done to help businesses along this recommended route. Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, first of all, Shalita, we're not assuming that it's a foregone conclusion that businesses will be lost as a direct result of this project. I mean, it's absolutely our commitment and we're working really hard to make sure that we're working very closely with the businesses that may be directly impacted to make sure that they have what they need, not just to survive construction, but to be in a position to really thrive afterwards and take advantage of uh, all, all the many benefits that this light rail project will bring. And so you did mention our, our community-led anti-displacement uh, work, and that is some really innovative uh, stuff that we are, you know, we think that we're, we're leading the nation in, in how we're thinking about, you know, how can we pair major infrastructure projects with really robust strategies to make sure that people that the project is intended to serve are not displaced. Um, so early plans, and we're still very early in the process, but we do show that, you know, we're expecting to take about 14 commercial properties being that would be directly impacted by the project. I uh, want to be very clear that those are not all 14 uh, actively used properties. Uh, some of them do have active businesses using them and active business uses, but uh, many of them are also abandoned or um, not not in current use and in poor repair. We uh, have reached out to every single one of the property owners already, working with the businesses that are operating in there to start planning early so that we can make sure that they are able to stay in the community, if not in their current location, at a new location. So. There are a few ways that, you know, we, we already are, are supporting businesses and absolutely will continue to. Um, I mean, first of all, we do have a robust process in place to make sure that um, any owner of a, of a property that needs to be purchased for the project to move forward is fairly compensated. We also know that not everybody operating a business in these properties are the owner of those properties. And so we have um, a, a, a significant process in place to make sure that we're providing relocation assistance to make it easy for businesses to move. And so that's financial assistance to cover any of the costs that are associated with relocating your business. And the goal of that is to really make sure that businesses can stay in the community if, if they choose to. Okay, and, and, and one of my main concerns, Kyle, I have to be honest with you, is um, KMOJ, the people station. Mm -hmm. Now, I know yeah. they've moved several times, and, and I was concerned because the proposed rail is going to impact them, but uh, apparently um, you've already been working with them. We have, yeah, yeah. We've we've been in, in conversation with KMOJ and the owner of that uh, the building that they operate in. So they currently rent space in the Five Points building, which is at the southeast corner of Penn and West Broadway. It's a critical uh, commercial and and community hub, and you know we really do want to make sure that we're serving that area with a station uh, at that intersection because a lot of people are going to want to go there. That does mean that it's going to be likely that we need to purchase that building. And so KMOJ um, you know, has, has been great, great partners in thinking about and talking about solutions. They would certainly qualify for relocation assistance if we did um, uh, need to purchase that building. And But I mean, we fully recognize that, I mean, KMOJ is a critical Northside institution. A lot of people see it as the heart and soul of the community. and project is absolutely committed to working with them to make sure that they can continue to serve that purpose. Well, it is um, good to hear that because that, that was one of my main concerns. Um, the first time I got to the Twin Cities, um, I was, you know, a morning show producer there. 
um i i they open me uh they welcome me with open arms and you know as you can imagine there's so much disinformation um you know penetrating the community and you know that is one of our crown jewels um yeah. on the north side and, and so you know we are just so careful um and care so much about that particular institution now listen i, I got a couple of more questions and, and I, I again i'm going to continue to put you on the hot seat because i need to talk about this anti-displacement effort uh some of the Good community job. voices uh that i'm hearing um and, and i also want to talk about some of the positive things that are going to happen with this project because you know we're hearing so much negative information we're hearing a lot of disinformation but this is a once in a generation project that can bring millions of dollars to our community and you know the last thing i want to happen is for this project to skip over our community because of a few uh loud voices and, and so i want to make sure that we understand that you know this is for us this is for our legacy our children um and 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 the more information we can get out there that is accurate and factual uh the better off we will be and that's why I'm talking to you today that's why I came off of vacation today because I need to make sure this information gets out uh, to my community so if you can just hold on we're going to play a few commercials but I want to talk to you about um, this blue line project extension I want to dispel some of these um, myths that are permeating in our community and make sure that we get the right information from the right people which is why we'll continue our discussion after the break and let me tell you something I don't mess around when it comes to my community I I uh, was supposed to be on vacation in Houston in our family's RV visiting my mom and dad for Christmas. Um, and I said, you know what? I got to hop back on my show because I've been hearing from people in my community about the Metro Blue Line extension, uh, the route 13 miles of new light rail service uh, transit system uh, going through Target Field north minneapolis starting from target field uh going through north minneapolis then on to robbinsdale and crystal and ending in brooklyn park and it sounds like it's really far away like 2030 you know i'm like i i can't get through I, let me get to 2024 first but there's some big decisions being made right now and there's some community concerns happening right now so i said let me talk to somebody right now and i want to go all the way to the top uh, so I asked Kyle Mianuli to join me. He is the communications administrator for the Blue Line Extension Project. He is continuing our discussion on uh, the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. And, and Kyle, I, I thank you for taking the time during this holiday break uh, to come back and do another segment, um, putting you on the hot seat here because of the, the concerns that I'm hearing in the community. So I have to ask, uh, does the current recommended route reflect what the community has asked for? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, Shaletta, thank you for having me on, and I do appreciate the opportunity to sit in your hot seat here. Um, you know, we really do think that the, the current route does reflect what uh, we've been hearing from the community. We've actually made a lot of significant changes to this project, and that's because we really believe that meaningful engagement ultimately leads to a better project. You know, the, the community are the experts on their community and really need their partnership to build a project that truly benefits them. Um, but so, you know, I mean, there's several major changes that have been made uh, as a direct result of community feedback. One is that uh, in, in the segment of North Minneapolis between I-94 and James Avenue, we moved the route from West Broadway to 21st Avenue because we heard loud and clear from the community, you know, we're concerned about business impacts, we're concerned about parking impacts. 
Um, and so, you know, we, we heard that and we said, you know what, let's put the tracks one block north on 21st Avenue. That allows us to avoid a whole bunch of, of other building impacts, uh, decrease the, the strain on businesses through construction and, and all those other things. So after we made that decision, then we heard again, well, wait, 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 you know, we also think that West Broadway needs investment and needs improvements and we want to see investment on West Broadway too. And so we took that feedback and said, there's no reason we can't have the best of both worlds here. And so we also are committing to reconstructing that section of West Broadway and working with the community to look at things like, how can we improve uh, uh, pedestrian safety? How can we you know, widen sidewalks, add community gathering spaces, add green spaces, improve street lighting is something that we've heard a lot. So we're going to be doing both of those things. Another way that we have significantly improved the project is that we have moved the route from Lindale Avenue, of which we heard a lot of community concerns from, and now we're going to be serving the east side of I-94, which allows us to connect the North Loop area, which is a key destination. And also, combining that with the 21st Avenue decision allows us to create a new community connection across the highway to make it easier for people to get to things east of the highway, including the river. Um, you know, we've done other things like adding another station between Washington and Penn Avenue to better serve the north side. and. All of these things are really major changes to the project that makes it an even better project, and they probably wouldn't have happened without community input. Um, I, I will say that the most significant feedback uh, that we've gotten that has really shaped the project more than anything is just the creation of this anti-displacement and community prosperity initiative. We heard right away in 2021 when we announced that you know, we were going to have to find a different route uh, because we couldn't couldn't get to an agreement with the railroad company, and we saw that as an opportunity to serve more more key destinations like North Minneapolis. Um, but also, we heard that there were some real concerns about about the displacement and what and the impacts for those communities would be. So we started the anti-displacement initiative and uh, worked very closely with community. It was led by community, included 27 um, representatives, including community leaders, business leaders, agency staff, nonprofits, philanthropic partners. And they came out with a, a, a report last summer that really detailed their kind of uh, their their priorities and a set of strategies that they felt would you know uh, actively prevent displacement, but also help build prosperity in the community as a result of this project. And that's what we're in the process of implementing right now. Okay, you have to break this down for me. How can because I just figured out how to spell anti-displacement. Okay, how can <laughs> anti-displacement efforts actually improve existing small businesses in the community? These are people that I'm on the ground with, Kyle. You know, I've got black entrepreneurs there at the Capitol coming up, and so a lot of our barbers and restaurant owners, our shop owners, you know, the lawn, the folks who own the laundromat, the dry cleaners, um, you know, the the beauticians, you know, who are renting these spaces, you know, they uh. Want want to make sure that I'm getting all the information and, and they want to make sure that this is going to benefit them. How can mm. this anti-displacement effort actually improve the small businesses in that particular community? These people are looking to me for answers, so you're going to have to tell me something. <laughs> Absolutely, Shalada. And so, I mean, first of all, Let Rail itself is, is good for businesses. It makes it easier for more people to get to your business. It makes it easier for employees to get to work. It drives the kind of investment and growth that really helps businesses thrive. Of course, construction is always a challenge, and we're already working with businesses in the quarter to plan for their needs during construction. How can we maintain access? How can we minimize, you know, the amount of time that active construction is happening right outside their doors? But to your point, I mean, we don't just want businesses to survive construction. We really want them to be in a position to 
thrive when it's done. And you know, we we are going to be working with a wide variety of partners to support businesses during, uh, before, and after construction, uh, whether that's through grants or for giveable loans or other types of financial support. Um, and there are some other innovative things that we're looking at with the anti-displacement recommendations too. One thing that we've heard a lot from business owners, especially on West Broadway, is you know we would love the opportunity to actually own our space. We rent right now. Every month we write a check to to a, a landlord, and wouldn't it be great if we could, mm-hmm. instead of paying, paying a landlord, actually investing in our community, building equity here, and having building community ownership. So we're looking at um, a lot of different innovative community ownership models that would allow for that to happen. Um, I, I do want yeah, to say too, and, and, it's not just, oh, go ahead, Shalom, thank you. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. I'm going to let you finish it off. Sure, yeah. No, there, there, there are also uh, business resources available today. I do want to plug Elevate Hennepin real quick. It's a wonderful uh, program from Hennepin County that provides uh, free professional business consulting. Uh, that any business in Hennepin County can access. We have a team of about 30 professional business advisors, and any business can access uh, professional consulting on any range of, of issues from legal considerations to financial, bookkeeping, marketing, um, really any need that a, a, a business could could need, they, they can get some support from Elevate Hennepin. We've been doing extra work to make sure that business owners in the corridor are connected to that resource today. So they can start planning for change and really positioning themselves to be able to benefit from this project. You know, I uh, frequently go to Flavor Cafe on University and Dale. That's where I take all my meetings. It's owned by Shawnee Grigsby. She's an African-American woman. And so I feel like it's my responsibility to, you know, if somebody wants to meet for coffee, um, go there instead of one of the major chains and support that woman and her business. And, and a lot of times I'm introducing the people that I'm meeting with to a new place or a new space. And I, I recently saw Jen Grant. Um, she, you know, I took a meeting with her there a couple of weeks ago and she was back there meeting with someone else. And that was the first time she'd gone when she and I were together. And so just to see that, you know, being passed down, you know, from business owner to business owner is, is people come in support there. But the one thing that I see in Shawnee's business is people coming in off that rail. She's right there on University and Dale. Um, people stop there. They go do business somewhere else and they come off the rail. They go into her shop. They get a cup of coffee and then they go on to do whatever it is they do. So I see that on a regular basis, the impact that having that rail system right there stopped in front of her business the impact that it's having on her the constant flow of customers the constant flow of traffic and and i want you to talk to me about some of the positives of this project because you know we think 2030 is a long way off but decisions are being made right now and i think that we need to talk more about you know some of the positive impacts that this project will have on our community jobs education transportation healthcare, but mainly those small businesses i see it every time i'm at shawnee's place how people walk off that light rail walk into her shop get some coffee take a meeting meet somebody there and that rail has been essential to the success of her business absolutely and there are countless examples just just like that i mean it, it really does make it easier for more people to get to your location and it, businesses along light rail do see an increase in, in in customers they see an increase in business that doesn't happen until after construction though right obviously in those construction years are a major challenge and so 
we are really focusing on, you know, what can we do, one, to get businesses ready to be able to t reap those benefits, but also, um, you know, survive construction, and what can we be doing now to support those businesses? I mean, in terms of the benefits and positives of this project, there are a lot of them. I mean, first of all, it brings a premium, premium transit service to areas that have the highest transit riderships in the entire state. There are a lot of households in this area that do not have a, a, a car, and transit really is their lifeline. They rely on it to get to businesses. They rely on it to get to school and work and to see family. Um, and so, you know, I mean, bringing that, that premium transit service to this area is, is definitely a, a positive. Because it's an extension of the blue line, uh, the, the existing blue line, it provides a one-seat ride to the airport and the Mall of America and all the other destinations in between. Um, and with one transfer, you can get to pretty much any of the other rapid transit system lines. Um, so it opens up a whole new world of, of opportunities for employment and education and healthcare and recreation, all of the things that you need to travel to do. This is going to make it easier to do that. Um, I do also want to say, I mean, light rail, light rail is the backbone of our transit system, and this is the final missing leg. We've got the existing green line that goes down University Avenue out, out to the west. We've mm -hmm. got the green line extension going to the east, the existing blue line to the south, and this is that kind of critical missing leg to the north. So it, it is it is valuable in that way, too. But, I mean, I think most importantly, this is really a generational investment in an area that historically has been underinvested in and continues to experience uh, per perpetuating cycles of poverty from systemic racism. And we definitely believe that this area deserves the same level of investment that communities along our other light rail lines have. Okay, now I, I need you to appreciate something here because we know what has happened in the past. Uh, black and brown communities get railroaded. We are naturally, Kyle, and understandably suspicious. But is there a danger to just assume that it's going to happen again and miss an opportunity for millions of dollars to be poured into our community to have all these advantages you know the business is being impacted health care is being impacted our ability to get around so we can apply for better jobs and actually get from brooklyn park to the mall of america or to the airport um and and, and just have a better quality of life for our family you know I, I don't want this is what i don't want i don't want my community to miss out I don't want this to happen um, and, 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 and the proposal goes out there and then, you know, people start yelling and screaming about the negatives and, and we don't talk about what it is going to add to our community and then it goes somewhere else and we miss out because this is not coming again. If we miss this opportunity, it's not going to happen again. They're not making multi-million dollar investments in light rail in our community. Again, we don't get another shot. This is it for us. Yeah, and I mean, we're really talking about a billion-dollar transportation investment, and that billion-dollar transportation investment will generate potentially billions of dollars of more public and private investment that creates jobs, it attracts and supports businesses, grows affordable housing options, and adds other community um, benefits. I mean, but that said, you know, there is a long history in this country and in these communities of major public infrastructure projects being built at the expense of black and brown communities, just like you said. And that's a history that we absolutely carry with us every day on this project. And we completely understand why there is mistrust. And we recognize that it is our responsibility to build that trust. And we're certainly doing that every single day in lots of ways, not least of which is working directly with the community to plan and build this route. Um, you know, we, we, we talked about a, a few of the ways that 
and the project has been significantly changed as a result of, of what we're hearing from community. Um, but I mean, the people leading this project, the staff and the elected officials really are committed to ensuring that it benefits the people that it is intended to serve. We wouldn't be building this light rail here if we didn't think it would and want it to benefit the people in this community. Uh, they believe very strongly in the value of this project and the value that it will bring to these communities. And you're right, it's not likely that there will be other opportunities to bring this level of investment again. I mean, light rail really is unique in its ability to generate economic growth and create opportunities for communities to build wealth in place. Um, and, and this is kind of our shot to do that. And we really believe that by implementing robust anti-displacement strategies with the project, we can make sure that it's the people in the corridor today that ultimately benefit from that prosperity and not those that would displace them. So, I mean, is there a risk in assuming that this is another rondo, for instance? You know, certainly, and there is the risk of, of the, the lost opportunity, like you mentioned. It, at the same time, it is important for communities to hold us accountable, and we want that. It leads to a better project. Um, there are people who are happy with the way things are, and they don't want things to change, and that's okay. But we also hear from a lot of people on the north side throughout the entire corridor who think that doing nothing would be the real injustice here, and that people, you know, really have bold visions for what this project could mean for them and their community. And um, you know, it's it, it's our job to work with the community to make sure that this project means that. This is not another rondo, and I hope folks give us the chance to prove that because we, we, we really do mean it, and we're doing a lot of innovative things to keep that from happening. Um, but it's a huge project and a major opportunity, and we really do need strong community partnerships and active voices to get it right. Well, I thank you for uh, working to build that trust as you build this uh, extension of the Blue Line and for coming on this show uh, during the holidays to make sure the right information gets out here to uh, people in the community so they'll know what's going on. They'll hear it directly from you. Um, and they'll know that their questions were answered and their voices were heard. Kyle Mianulli, uh with uh, the Minnesota uh, Blue Line Extension Project. He is the communications administrator. He's been joining us courtesy of the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Thank you so much for being on the show and Happy New Year to you. Thank you for having me, Shaletta, and you too. All right, you all stick around. There's more to come. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Y'all know the story. I've told it right here on this station and anywhere that I'm chatting a million times. You know, the story of how um, right here at our Good Neighbor Station, uh, Chad Hartman was an advocate for me to have my own show, to be paid um, what I was worth. And having that white coworker go into the offices of the bosses who were here at the time and speak up for me on my behalf made a difference in my career. I may actually still have been an overnight weekend producer working 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. on the weekends and filling in from time to time had he not um, spoken up and spoken out for me. So, you know, being on vacation, I'm hanging out, reflecting on the year and, you know, thinking about friends and family and, and folks like Chad Hartman who have, you know, absolutely been a blessing and changed my life. And I, I'm looking at my cousin Demetrius' Instagram feed. And she's got a report from a Harvard University professor uh, that revealed that Black women working with majority teams uh, face challenges with promotion and retention. It's a brand new report. It, it, it says Black women in white workplaces are more likely to be considered low performers no matter how well we do. So I said, okay, wait a minute. See, I've got to figure out how I can get this Harvard University professor to come on here and talk about this brand new study. So you know what I did? I called Harvard University and I have Dr. Elizabeth Linos joining me on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Dr. Linos, thank you so much for taking the time during a holiday weekend to be a part of, of my show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Shaletta. It's a pleasure. And it was a pleasure to chat with you by phone um, after we exchanged emails uh, back and forth. This study is fascinating. Talk to us about this new report that suggests that Black women are more likely to face significant challenges when working with mostly white teams. Yeah, that's exactly right, Shaletta. So this is a, a new study um, that I've co-authored with two other professors, Dr. Sanaz Mobassari at BU and, and Dr. Nina Rossi at MIT. And essentially what we look at uh, are the experiences of over 9,000 new hires in a high-wage elite firm. And we look at how kind of careers and experiences at work are different by race and gender. Um, and we find a couple of things that I think um, – are important to document, even if they might not be um, surprising. First, we see uh, a really uh, large gap in turnover and promotion. So black employees are 32% more likely to leave within the first two years, 26% less likely to be promoted on time than their white counterparts. And as you said, when we zoom in and look at kind of what's the effect of your coworkers on your career trajectories, we see this really important thing having more white coworkers early in your career uh, increases the likelihood that you're going to leave if you are a black woman 
and reduces the likelihood that you're going to get promoted. The more white coworkers you have early on, the worse the outcomes uh, when it comes to retention and promotion at that specific firm. All right. Thank you so much. I'm so sorry. My internet cut out a bit. I'm in my family's RV broadcasting from Houston. But, you know, one of the things that fascinated me most about this study is uh, that, you know, you analyze this from 2014 to 2020. So this is not something, Dr. Lee knows, that you all went and talked to a few people and, and made your conclusion. You all have been studying this for some time. That's exactly right. Even just to get the data and analyze it. And we did, you know, a lot of qualitative interviews as well with uh, employees of color and white employees in the firm. You know, the process to get to even this point to document these facts, you know, has taken already around four to five years. And you're right that we're following people over time. So we're looking at people who started earlier in their career, and then we can see, you know, what happens two years later, what happens at first promotion, what happens at second promotion. So we can we can really look at the long-term consequences of what happens early in someone's career. Now, when you compile this data, um, what surprised you the most? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I guess the, the size of these gaps um, and the size of the effects, I think, uh, surprised me the most. So, you know, we all know that racism and sexism still exists. Uh, in America. We know that workplaces um, haven't fixed the problems of this country. And we also know that black women face this double disadvantage, uh, both because of their race and gender. But it was really striking to look at just the numbers. So, you know, a 32% higher likelihood of leaving, promotion rates that are much lower, even at firms that are, you know, trying their best to diversify. Um, to me, those, those, those effects, those numbers uh, make me feel like there's so much more work to be done to change the behavior of white people in those firms, as opposed to just thinking this is, you know, a recruitment challenge or a pipeline problem. It's it's something that's happening in the workplace that needs to change. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, what does need to change? Um, I need to figure out um, what your thoughts are going forward. And also, I want to hear about the feedback that you are getting uh, since this report was released. Um, because not only do we have folks sharing it on social media and commenting on it, uh, major publications like Essence Magazine and so many others have also put out stories on it. So it is making the rounds. People are talking about it. So so we are going to continue to talk to Dr. Elizabeth Linos from Harvard University when we come back. It is 1249. You are listening to The Shaletta Show on News Talk A30WCCO Radio. And there is a new report that suggests Black women are more likely to face significant challenges when working with mostly white teams. This did not come from me, honey. This came from Harvard School, a working paper released in November, just last month. This study went on from 2014 to 2020. So uh, we are going to hear from Dr. Elizabeth Linos. She is the Harvard professor that um, is working on this study. Uh, she has the results. She is working on this paper. And I really want to hear, when you put this out, what has been the feedback? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, I think the feedback has been uh has been mixed i should say uh depends you know who who the audience is when we first started putting out you know the analysis 
we got a lot of pushback. Like, are you sure those numbers look big? Like maybe it's something else. But, you know, we've really um, been thoughtful in, in the, the paper of analyzing the data really well, showing no matter what model you use, no matter what variables you add, the main effect still stands. And so it's, um, it's a real finding, it's a true finding. So by the time we put out the paper, uh, the feedback shifted a little bit. One thing that I'm really proud of is the way that people have shared this organically in social media and in other ways, uh, mm-hmm. like your cousin that you mentioned. Um, and we've gotten a lot of really positive comments, especially from black women that say, thank you for putting numbers behind what we already knew. So it's not necessarily a surprising finding for black women in the workplace. Um, a lot of this uh, resonates because it's something that they've experienced. But there's some value, I think, in having uh, a rigorous study with specific numbers behind it that someone can point to and say, this isn't you know, this isn't a little microaggression. This isn't in my mind. This is a real finding. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to contribute to that conversation. And as you mentioned um, before the break, we're also very fortunate that uh, kind of media outlets have also uh, shared this quite widely. So we're we're really lucky to have that as well. And this is the thing. This is something black women have been saying for generations. This isn't something new to us. You know, everybody's clutching pearls and they're, you know, just so shocked that these numbers are so lopsided and they want to question your findings. But, you know, if anybody has a black girlfriend in corporate America, this is something she's been telling you for years. Uh, This is something that you know. This is something that you should have been standing up for. You know, I I tell the story all the time. I don't know where my career would be without a Chad Hartman who saw the inequity, um, not just in opportunity, but pay, and said, this isn't right. Um, I had the same experience with Brian Lambert um, when I was over at another radio station, and he was my co-host, and and we were doing the same job. And he wanted to know why he had more benefits than I had and spoke up about it. But if people are quiet and and they sit in these uh, boardrooms and they sit in these workplaces and workspaces and say nothing when they know black women are being paid less, are being passed over for promotions, are being unfairly categorized as low performers, um, and and they just turn a blind eye to it and say, it's not my problem, then guess what? This study is going to be exactly the same, Dr. Linos, when my 10-year-old daughter Cameron enters the workplace. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So where do we go from here? You know, we can't turn away from it. It is a Harvard study. It was conducted over a span of years. You have a doctor in front of your name. You are a PhD. So they're not hearing it from Shaletta Brundage with her little old degree from University of Houston in mass communications. They're hearing this information from you, Dr. Linos. So where do we go from here? I know your findings are calling for more research. Um, what's next? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think, as, as you said, this is kind of a starting point for um, a lot more work that needs to be done. Just documenting the problem isn't enough. Um, it's a starting point. And, you know, one thing that you already alluded to with some of your coworkers is I think where we need to go next. So a lot of firms and, and companies have you know, have programs that are that are really focused on employees of color or black employees in particular, you know, mentorship programs or networking programs. But what I think we should be doing instead is really focusing on the behavior of the majority group. So how do we change the behavior of white men and women in these firms? 
so that you don't need to have some sort of special program. It's the behavior of the majority group that needs to change um, in order for some of these gaps to go away. So for me and for my research team, the next step is really rigorously testing different ways of making sure that uh, both managers and white coworkers understand their role and their responsibility in changing what the workplace looks like, not only for black women, but for black men as well and for other employees of color. And I'm hoping that if we continue to, to be data-driven in that approach and be evidence-based and continue to scientifically test what works and what doesn't work, we can make progress. Um, but it's, it's going to be hard, and we're still at the beginning of that process. And I'm glad that we are taking a, a, a step forward. I, I'm so grateful that um, you are doing this research, you have put this data out, and that you've made yourself available um, to chat with me on this show. If folks want to find this information, because I'm getting hit up from some people saying, where's this study? How can I find it? I want to share this. Uh, one of the people um, on my podcasting network, Lambert Fisher, hosts um, the Diversity Dude podcast. And so he delves into these type of issues each and every week. So I, he is he is pinging me like I'm not live on the radio. Like I don't have a job right now that I'm trying to do. He's trying to get the study <laughs> so he can print it out and go over with the fine tooth comb to discuss it um, on his show. So, so how can people find this information? Yeah, uh, well, that's very kind of you to say. There's a couple different ways. As you know, my email is always available. The study itself has been um, published as a working paper by the Harvard Kennedy School. So if you go to any Harvard Kennedy School um, uh, social media or my social media, uh, you should be able to find it. But as you know, I'm I'm always available and excited to talk about research. The only reason research matters is if it's making a difference in people's lives. So uh, it's it's an honor and a privilege to be able to to have this opportunity to talk about it. Well, you have blessed us. Um, we are breathing a sigh of relief. Black women all over social media are sharing this, and uh, we are feeling seen and heard and validated. And so I want to, if nobody else says it, I want to thank you on behalf of us for the work that you have done. Thank you so much. That's very kind of you. And thank you so much for, for uh, bringing me on to your, show, to your show and sharing your experience. I think that's really, really important. It is so important. Um, it's important that everybody find a Chad Hartman. And if you are on a job and you are with the majority, be uh, a Chad Hartman. We'll be right back. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 